Welcome to Game Fellas, episode five, the Retro to Modern Gaming Podcast. How you all doing tonight, fellas? Pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Tonight we got a uh, Soren with us from the UK. We have Mark with us. Mark MSX. Mark, I don't even know your last name, man. It's because it's a mystery. No one knows it. Okay, well that's fine. We'll just call you Mark MSX after your ancient Japanese computer. Mm-hmm. And um, we have Derek Moore, who's uh, going to be uh, mostly off camera tonight, just uh, being our producer and answering questions for us as we go. So let's get started with what we've been playing before we get to our topics. So Mark, why don't you start us off, man? What you been playing? Well, I think I have a good variety this time. So um, it was news to me that this new running gun came out just out of nowhere for me. But I guess a lot of people have been excited about it. Uh, Blazing Chrome. Chrome. Yeah. I've been going in on Blazing Chrome. I, I really like it a lot. Um, I'm hoping to get a 1cc of normal mode pretty soon. It's pretty hard. Like, harder than your typical indie indie game, I guess you could say. Yeah, Blazing Chrome, I've been waiting for for two years now, I think, since I first heard about it. I believe it was done by... I mentioned this on the last podcast as I brought it up briefly. Uh, I believe it was uh, done by a... A couple uh, like a guy and a girl in brazil i think a little indie studio in brazil and i think their aim was contra hardcore mixed with like metal slug uh, is the vibe and some contra 3 i know definitely know some things about contra 3 too but tell us a little, a little bit about it mark and what your experience has been so far and the gameplay what it's like and, and all that stuff well i think actually the game that reminds me the most of gameplay wise it does have some metal slug elements is kind of a cross between Contra and Mega Man X, actually. I feel like there's a lot of Mega Man X going on in that game because... Why? Well, for one, you have a variable jump. You don't have the... Most running guns have a static jump where, like, you know, Castlevania style, you hit jump and you just jump. Uh, In Blazing Chrome, it's like Mega Man where you can kind of do little jumps, you can control your airspeed and stuff like that. So it feels a little more platformy than something like Metal Slug. And also, I just feel like there's a lot of little homages to Mega Man X. Like, the uh, the main character kind of looks like Zero for Mega Man X. And your blaster kind of reminds me of, like, a buster cannon type thing. Um, some other cool things about the game is that it has a locking mechanic. Which um, I noticed is kind of becoming a little more trendy in running guns and stuff. Where, I think Cuphead has it too. Where you can hold yourself in place and then kind of free shoot in eight directions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that adds a... And the game really does a good job, the level design, pushing that mechanic and making it really relevant. Because you're going to have to use it quite a bit. And uh, as like, in Metal Slug, there's nothing like that. So you run into situations in Metal... Because I play a lot of Metal Slug where you want to shoot diagonally but hold still. But that just won't happen. So... <laughs> Yeah, I think the hard, hard, Contra cool. Hardcore did that too. Like, uh, that was, uh, I think if you had a six-button controller, you hit, uh, I think it was X or Y, one of the top buttons, and it locked you in place, and you could shoot uh, in all directions. So oh, really? Definitely, so that definitely must be, a mechanic. That must be where all these games are kind of getting that idea, because I've noticed that even in AM2R, that Metroid remake, it has a lock mechanic too. Yeah. Yeah, the game looks it looks fantastic. I mean... The, st- the the art style really reminds me of hard- Contra Hardcore, like, a lot. Even even mm-hmm. down to the kind of dull, the colors are kind of a little bit dull, you know? Yeah. Like, it really, it looks like a Genesis game almost. It's definitely, 
definitely a high high up on our inspiration list i think was was hardcore but yeah i'm yeah. glad you've been playing that man um I, i've played a little bit i've just problem my problem is i'm playing too much other stuff too so i've been trying to play it but um i've only just dipped my toe in but i'm going to talk a little bit about blazing chrome uh too when it's my turn so i'll you know i'll let you continue what else what <laughs> okay. else have you been playing man well, a little Soul Calibur six that I've been trying to get you to play. Oh, yeah, we got to do that uh, soon, <laughs> yeah. for sure. I've been really enjoying it. I, I'm a little sad because it looks like it's not going to it's not gonna make the long run for a fighting game. You know how that is, where they get about a year or so, and then some survive and some don't. It looks like it's not going to survive as far as com- playing it competitively, really. Okay. But it's still a really well-made game. I think... I just kind of feel like in the world of fighting games, for some reason, there always seems to be room for just one 3D fighter. Like, the fighting game audience cannot handle more than one at a time or something, so... Yeah. Uh, it dies at the altar of Tekken, but still why a really do you good think, game. Why do you think that is that it's not going to last? What's different about it uh, than previous Soul Calibur game, games? Well, I don't think any of them really lasted that well other than Soul Calibur 2. That was the one that was yeah. mostly competitively played and stuff like that i think it's the second best one after soul caliber 2 i think 2 is still better because i still play a lot of caliber 2 and it's funny because there's a lot of mechanics obviously between 3 and 6 but i didn't play much of 3 through 5 so i always just compare it to 2 because i think that was what they were trying to capture but it has things like meters and supers and stuff like that that I kind of feel like they're all right, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's not okay. quite as good as two. I noticed, uh, is it Kalik or Kalik? What's his name? Kalik? Yeah, he, he has long hair now. It looks like that's him. He was my main man back in uh, one, two, one and two anyway. So when he's in his default mode, he looks like his usual self. And then there's like a soul charge mechanic. Which was in Soul Calibur 2, but it didn't require meter. But in Soul Calibur 6, it's like a it's like a, a special move now. It's like V-Trigger okay. or something in uh, Street Fighter. So when he goes Soul Charge, that's when he gets like the Super Saiyan type look <laughs> thing going or whatever. To, like the evil Ryu look. Okay. So. Interesting. Alright, but it's good though. Even though you don't think it's going to last, it's still... A solid entry in the Soul Calibur series, I'm assuming. Yeah, I th- I think it's the best one since two. I'm really enjoying mm-hmm. it. It's probably my favorite 3D fighter out right now. I know the Tekken fans probably won't agree, but I like Tekken too. But I like it more. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just when you look at the online statistics of how many people are playing it, it's just going. It's dropping. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's dropping it's hard. It's just. Well, you and me will spike those numbers a little bit at some point. So <laughs> yeah. when we get to it. What else? You got anything else? You, you said you got some uh, some more stuff. What else have you been playing, man? Yeah, so I've been trying to play a few more modern games since, you know, I'm always stuck playing retro games, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, I have been playing more modern games, and I slip in my memory for a sec what else I've been playing. Because uh, I mentioned Hitman 2 last time. I've been playing yeah, a little bit of that Yeah, you mentioned still. that, yeah. Yeah. Or Hitman 2016 or whatever, or the it's, more recent one. It's the the new one, so it's like Hitman 2018 now. Oh, okay, okay. So that was on Steam sale, so I picked it up. Yeah, I think okay. that franchise. I think it's the best stealth franchise out right now. But not. It's kind of like it's kind of like Soul Calibur 6, where it's like people kind of know about it, but it's not super popular. 
right? I haven't played a Hitman game since since the original Xbox. I think it's been a long time. It's probably the last time I dabbled in a dabbled in that series. I mean, it's it's a lot of it's some stealth based gameplay. I'm assuming, and then uh, I remember sneaking around and and assassinating people and stuff like that. Is that kind of how it is? Still? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Were you playing? Uh, do you remember which one you were playing? Was it Silent Assassin? No, it was the original Xbox. I don't remember. Yeah. So it would have been either Blood Money, Silent Assassin, or Contracts. Those are the three on the Xbox. No idea. I don't remember which one it was. I would I would guess it was Silent Assassin because that was kind of the more popular one. Yeah, could have been. Yeah, where you change disguises a lot and has a ass load of levels. One of them's like in a snowy level in Japan. That's freaking hard. <laughs> you get sniped the entire time. Nice. Okay. All right. Cool. Well. Uh... Thanks, Mark. Uh, Soren, what have you been playing, man? Yo, um, yeah, I've been playing basically two things uh, quite a lot. <laughs> um, so the, the first one is um, Super Mario Maker 2, which obviously came out of course. recently. Um, yeah, I've been playing a lot of that. Um, I've, <laughs> I've got an opinion of it which may not be particularly popular. Um, but it's not that I don't like the game, because I, I really do like it. I think it's awesome. Um, but I played it and completed the kind of story mode, the like single-player content, um, which is kind of like a really elaborate tutorial, essentially. Um, it's just like a hundred levels um, that you... Well, I mean, you don't even have to play all hundred, but you go through it, and it's kind of like teaching you different mechanics and things like that. Um so I played that, really enjoyed that, and I've obviously been playing the the other modes, which use all the user-created levels. Um, but I've kind of got to a point where I'm like, I don't want to just kind of like sit there and only play that, like because I've kind of, you know, I'm I'm now at a point where I can only kind of just every now and again have a go at that endless mode, and right. I just I don't know. I feel like it's the kind of game where I don't necessarily now feel like I have to sit there and have a big old gaming session on it. I can kind of maybe play it for an hour and then pick it up another day and play it for an hour or so. Like it's, I can see it very much being one of those games where I'd always want to have it on me with my Switch as an option, but it's not the game that I would want to sit down and spend hours playing. Does how does sense? Yeah, how does endless mode work exactly? You mentioned endless mode. So it, it, I think the endless mode uh, replaced what they had on the first one, which is um, they had a mode where you got a uh, hundred lives basically, and you had to kind of just complete a certain amount of levels within those hundred lives. Um, and they decided to change it. I don't entirely know why. I think it, maybe it was you know so that everyone's always competing for a high score, and you just keep trying to beat your own score and that. Um, but now there's there's no limit to the levels you do. You just you start with fewer lives. So depending on the difficulty, you start with a, a different amount of lives, um, and it's now just endless. So you just get level after level after level. Um, you can gain a few lives on each level um, to try and kind of uh, gain back some of the lives you've lost along the way. Um, and yeah, you're just basically you keep going until you run out of lives, and then. That's your high school. Okay. Um, so it's it's really good for a 
like from a competitive standpoint and like yeah if you want to kind of compete on the leaderboards and everything and it is fun and the main you know the main draw of Mario Maker 2 is all of the like awesome user created levels that Nintendo just wouldn't have ever even thought to come up with all the penis uh, levels yeah exactly <laughs> you know if if there's a level where you can run around a massive penis and yeah I'm all, all for that that's fine <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean there's there's some really good stuff there. Um but yeah, I just I I don't know, it's like I'm not like I do really enjoy the game, but I don't see it as uh, something that now I feel I'd want to sit down and play all evening. Well maybe is has the novelty kind of worn off wore off? Because I mean the first one came out and people's minds were kind of blown. It seemed like really crazy stuff. And this one, uh I mean, kind of seems like more of the same, I guess, except on Switch, right? I mean, I'm sure there's more, yeah. little more you can do with it, more options. It looks like, um, just looking at the video Derek's playing for us, it looks uh, like there's more you can do with the environments, you know, and, as far as diverse yeah. environments. But do you think that's, you think it's just kind of the, the novelty's worn off on it, or what do you think? Um, I no, I wouldn't say the novelty's worn off. I mean, it's something that is probably going to help. Um, which they clearly are going to do is um, support it with updates. So, you know, there's already a really obvious glaring space um, on the uh, level theme um, section of the of the map creator um, that is clearly going to, you know, going to have another type of level that you can create. So they're already kind of giving little clues that they're clearly going to support it and update it and probably do some sort of DLC or something. Oh, um, DLC. Which, yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll come to in a bit. <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, like, I, I, I quite like um, how Nintendo supports um, quite a few of its games. Like, they, you know, I mean, it still surprises me how much they're supporting uh, Mario Tennis Aces, because the player base for that cannot be anything close to some of their other games. And yet, you know, that game keeps getting monthly updates of like new characters and things like that so um yeah i'm i'm all for them adding more to mario maker 2 and i think they will um yeah i don't i it's it's such a tough one because it's it's clearly really popular and going to remain really popular like people stream it all the time um but for me personally like i'm i can really really enjoy it but I'll happily just play it in small bursts now. Like I yeah. don't You gotta be, yeah. you gotta be super creative to play games like that. Uh, I, I was never into the Mario Makers because I just I don't know. I'll I'll watch people make crazy levels all day, but when it comes to actually making one myself, it's just not really how my mind works. I kind of just want to play a game and not have to worry about creating a game. You know, which yeah. is in essence what you're doing. Some people are just really good at it, you know, and they love it, but. Yeah, for me, it's Mario Maker doesn't really interest me because uh, it's all about the creation aspect. Although I guess you could get it and just play other people's levels, you know, that, that'd be fun too. Yeah, and and I and that is actually something that I would say and recommend to anyone. Like, if you think that you need to make levels to get your full money's worth out of that game, then don't worry about that at all. Like, you could easily pick this game up and never touch the create mode. Right. And you you will have plenty to do like for a long long time so i wouldn't worry so much about that um okay. but uh the other game <laughs> that i've been playing a lot recently and this absolutely is a game that i'd happily play all day uh is bloodstained ritual of the night ah nice 
which yeah, it's for people. What, who... what are you playing it on? Are you playing it on PC or Switch? Because I heard the Switch version has problems. So, okay, so I actually first bought it on PC, and I was playing it on there, and obviously it looks beautiful and it runs super smooth and it's great. And then I enjoyed it so much that I thought I really want to be able to play this when I'm on the train. And the only way I can do that is if I buy the Switch copy. So I bought that as well. And yeah, it does take a huge hit in the graphics and the FPS. Um, but it's actually okay. Like people, people were kind of saying that it, you know, it runs really badly. And and yeah, I mean, if you compare it to the other versions, it isn't on par with them. Um, but it runs fine. Like I've not had any issues with it. It just looks a bit ugly. Like, because all the textures are much lower yeah, resolution. Yeah, down res a bit. Yeah, but it's... No, I think it plays absolutely fine on the Switch. Um, and the, the developers have said that they are aware the, uh, the Switch version has issues. So, you know, they're focusing a lot of their uh, resources on sorting that out. So, Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they'll be able to. It's I can't imagine it's that technically, technically demanding of a game. You know, it's like... No. Remember, remember all the issues uh, Toe Earl back in the groove had on the Switch uh, when it started, and they've fixed a lot of that stuff. You know, frame rate issues and all the same type of stuff. I, I'm guessing that Bloodstained has, yeah. so I'm yeah, sure they'll yeah. fix it. Yeah, I think they will. I think that something comes up with indie games that I've noticed is some of them that are not that intensive, like on paper, can be surprisingly intensive based on how well they were programmed, like. Uh, Dan 3, uh, Dan Michael Limited 3 on the Switch and on PC. When you look at it, it's a shmup, and it does. It looks cool, but it doesn't look like, oh my god, this is a graphic powerhouse. But that thing will rip through your graphics card and CPU like none other. I could barely, like, it can. my laptop could play Metal Gear Solid 5 at a smooth frame rate, but it could not play that game beyond, like, 640 or some like ridiculously low resolution. <laughs> 640 by 480. <laughs> yeah, like the, the smallest resolution ever. Just because I don't know what happened with the optimization of that game, but it rips through your uh, memory like no other. And I kind of suspect Bloodstain might be similar, where it's not really well optimized for performance. It probably yeah, yeah. probably is the case. But like I said, like I said, they'll probably be able to fix it. I mean, the stuff they've gotten running on the Switch is is kind of amazing. Um, yeah. So I'm sure they'll be able to uh, be able to do that. Um, okay. Well, that, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, like you know, they've got things like um, uh, what's it, Doom and Wolfenstein Two running, yeah. and, and The Witcher Three now, and The Witcher Three. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, if that'll so, run, anything will run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are those all Unreal games? I can't remember what. Witcher's I think CD on. CD Project has their own engine. I'm pretty sure. Okay. So that's their own. Yeah. That's Witcher their own Three thing. is definitely its own engine. Okay. Yeah. Because I know Unreal is ridiculously good at getting yeah. on stuff that's not that powerful. No, right. Doom runs on um, ID Tech Four. None of them are Unreal, huh? No, I'm sorry. ID Tech Five. What was the other one? Right. Uh, Wolfenstein. Wolfenstein. I think. Yeah. Wolfenstein runs on the same thing. ID Tech Five. Yeah. Okay. okay. Okay, and then there's yeah Skyrim too, but that's the that's the the uh, the same Elder Scrolls engine which we talked about in a previous episode. Right, they using yeah. Soren bringing up that they use they've been using the same engine for what ten years or fifteen years <laughs> or something. Yeah, it's so. ridiculous. All right, cool. Uh, I guess I'll move on to me then. Um, 
And I've been playing, well, I'll start with a little story. And that is I went to Utah recently and um, to visit a friend of mine. And we took a trip around a bunch of different national parks. But I brought my Switch with me. And in the evenings, uh, we played Cuphead every night. Uh, and I had never played it. I just got it when it came out on the Switch. Um, I wanted to go through a couple little facts about Cuphead that maybe some people don't know that's pretty remarkable about this game. I got a list right here. Uh, the studio was is an indie studio called MDHR, basically founded by two Canadian guys named Chad and Jared Moldenhauer, I think is how you pronounce their last name. <laughs> basically, these guys had to remortgage their houses uh, in order to complete this game. Uh, they like they just risk, risked it all. And uh, obviously they tried to emulate the, I guess it's called the rubber hose style of animation used in the cartoons in the 1930s. Uh, Max Fleischer, Max and Dave Fleischer, their studio did Superman they, and they did Betty Boop and a bunch of other stuff. And of course, Disney did some similar, uh, some similar things too. That was the style. Um, they basically approached the development of this game as if they were creating it in the 1930s, complete with all hand-drawn animation. It was all drawn by hand. It was colored, I think, in Photoshop, but it was all hand-drawn. And they commissioned uh, musicians, big band and jazz musicians, to do 51 music tracks and then basically, you know, degraded the way it sounded to make it sound more authentic, you know. Same with the, the visual style, you know. If you look at it... Um, it's funny in the actual game you can adjust how much noise you want on the screen, how much mm -hmm. how much how damaged you want it to look or how blurry, you know, it's kind of cool. Um they went through 150 character designs before they came up with the idea uh which actually the idea of Cuphead came from a 1936 Japanese propaganda film where a man with a teacup for a head morphs into a tank. That's where they got the idea for the <laughs> for this game. Really weird stuff, but Anyway, the game's been a huge success. I think it's sold like four million copies so far, which is oh, yeah. uh, which is amazing. Uh, considering the gameplay of this game, and Mark, uh, you know, you and me being uh, shmup and run again guys, this is a hardcore uh, hardcore game in terms of yeah. how difficult how difficult it is and the the gameplay style. You know, I'd say what like a lot of it's a boss rush where you're you're fighting bosses. Um, this game apparently has the Guinness World Record, which I didn't know there was one for this, but there's a Guinness World Record for the most bosses in a run-and-gun game, and this has the Guinness World Record with, I think, 30, 30 bosses this game has, which is also pretty crazy. Um, yeah, it's got an overworld, uh, kind of like Mario 3, where you go around, you can select yeah the uh, run-and-gun stages, uh, there's some shmup stages, there's a couple other oddball stages that are a little different. Um it's an amazing game. Uh, I love it. It's balls hard. Uh, I haven't even tried expert mode yet because I haven't beat it yet on normal. But um, me and my buddy played it every night uh, and just had a complete blast. I mean, we died over and over and over and over again. There's a guy in the game you can go to, and if you talk to him, he'll tell you how many times you've died. And it's always depressing to go to him and talk to him. <laughs> Mark, have you beaten Cuphead yet? Have you? Uh, how much time have you put into it? I haven't beaten it, but I've gotten about halfway through it, I would say. Then I kind of yeah, that's about where I'm at. Yeah, phased about, out a little bit. Yeah, I'm about I think sixty percent through or something like that, and uh, I took a little break um, to play some other stuff. But I'm definitely going to go back to it, probably with my brother at some point, um, because I think my nieces would love, uh, obviously, not to play it. They're a little young; it's too hard. But they'd love to watch it, you know, just because the animation is so much fun uh, to mm -hmm. look at. But um, do you know that Elon Musk also is a fan of the game and is 
I guess he's getting it to run in Teslas now. I don't know if you guys knew that, but <laughs> just, just, just stuff like that, man, is, is great. There's a Netflix animated series coming out now uh, based on the game with, I'm, I'm assuming, the same style. Yeah, it yeah. broke it broke the wall of, um, you know, shmup players always sit around and say the genre yeah. has no mainstream appeal. It could yeah. never be done. It broke. Can you I imagine? Mean, can you if imagine? It was, if it was a pure shmup, I don't know, but... It definitely is a lot more hardcore than what you normally come across, like Shovel Knight oh, yeah. or something like that. Right, and yeah, and yeah, I wouldn't even call Shovel Knight a, a running gun, even. No, I mean like an indie. You know how indie oh, games right, are right, generally games. easier yeah. than the original, I guess, older generation games. Yeah, exactly. It did. It. You're right. It broke the wall. Could you imagine a shmup or even a running gun selling four million copies nowadays? It's it's no. crazy. You know. No. And obviously, it's because of the anima- the animation. That's it. Sold people, you know. But the gameplay is also good. It's it's extremely, like I said, extremely hardcore. But um, yeah, that scene Derek's playing right now, that moon, that moon boss, uh, it's, it's just amazing, dude. So yeah, Cuphead is great. Um, My favorite thing about Cuphead is uh, the DF Retro. Have you seen the DF Retro episode about it? I don't think so, no. Okay, so they're they're really obsessed with uh, graphical fidelity and stuff. I watch mm-hmm. their channel, it's pretty good. But usually usually with games, you know, they go through all the settings, they count the pixels, they you know, they like really get into that. But Cuphead runs the same no matter what it's on usually cuz it's really specific yeah. art style and it's more animation than traditional games. And so they're just like they don't know what to say about the game. They're like it it runs at this resolution here. This resolution here doesn't have pixels. It's like it's just funny. Yeah, how they don't really have much to say about it because the art style is so. That's the one specific. thing I'm not sure about how they actually accomplish it because you're right. It's like I look at it and it, it. There's rarely a moment where I'm where I feel like I'm not watching a cartoon, you know. And I'm like, how did they do this, you know? And how does it run so well on everything? I think Derek mentioned it once to me. Um, that it basically runs on anything, you know. I mean, it yeah. runs pretty, it runs good on the Switch. There's a little bit of slowdown, I think, and a little, well, not really slowdown, but there's a little bit of frame rate issues on the Switch every once in a while, but nothing, not bad, you know. Um, it's still very fluid, but... Uh, it's actually, uh, it's actually been done before, and um, do you remember the Aladdin game for Super Nintendo? Yeah. They did the same thing, where they hand-drew all the, all the sprites, so it's like they're hand-drawn animations, then they just had to start chopping out frames to make the animations to make it fit. I think Earthworm yeah. Jim was the, was the same. I think with yeah. Earthworm Jim, it did that too. Yeah. So it's been but done. It's just but uh, in this case, not on it, this scale. In this case, it looks. Yeah, I mean, it's it looks exactly like a cartoon would. So, yeah, that's so Cuphead is great. If you haven't played it, uh, it's like twenty bucks. You you should even if you suck at video games, you should. It's worth giving it a shot. I think <laughs> play it on easy mode or whatever. There is a practice or an easy mode. I think so. Uh, the next game is Blazing Chrome, which uh, Mark was talking about. I don't have too much to say about it, but I do want to say one thing because I haven't played it a lot yet. But my buddy and I, we um, there's this. Uh, we were really bummed that there was no online uh, multiplayer for Blazing Chrome, so we found this uh, program called Parsec, which basically lets you use your PC as a um, server, and you can stream the game to the other person. And it'll they plug in their controller. They use Parsec also, and it, and it you know it'll let them use a controller, and it records their their um, inputs. So we were we were playing with that, and uh, it seems to work pretty well. It might be kind of hard with shmups and with running guns and games that 
Um, you need, you know, very precise that are very precise. But Cuphead was one of the games they were actually showcasing with Parsec. So, but uh, we tried Blazing Chrome, and yeah, it's it's pretty cool, man. If you haven't checked out Parsec, I'd suggest uh, I'd suggest checking it out. Um, there's a paid one where you can use their cloud uh, computers, which works better, but you got to pay. You know, I think it's it's fairly inexpensive, but I think it's by the hour which kind of sucks, but I think it's like, I don't know, 50 cents an hour or something or 70 cents an hour, which really isn't that bad. But so yeah, Blazing Chrome, I'm going to talk more about that on another episode when I've played it more. But the last thing I want to talk about uh, briefly is I've been playing a lot of Star Fox, the original Star Fox. I got a bug up my ass recently. Uh, I decided that I wanted to play Star Fox. I watched this video. It's a brilliant video by... uh, Splash Wave is the channel. Um, Jerome is his name. He does these amazing uh, retro, mostly retro game videos. And he did the, the making of Star Fox. And I watched it and I was like, wow, this it was really cool to see how the game came together. And it, and granted, it's kind of antiquated now. but And the frame rate is low. But um, I'm actually having a lot of fun with it. You know, when I first turned it on, I was like, eh, this is really janky, man. The frame rate's like 15 frames a second, maybe. And but I got used to I got used to it, and now I'm now I'm gonna one CC uh, every route. You know I've already been able to do it on the easier route, and I'm gonna do uh, the next two routes also. So those will show up on this channel on my channel here at some point, probably soon. But yeah, you didn't dude, refuse it, to review it. You didn't drop uh, the controller and be like, "Oh, this is too antiquated. <laughs> I can't play this." No, man. Um, it's funny because I had I had that thought for about maybe 30 seconds to a minute when I first turned it on. I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I can do this. But you know what? If you just stick to it and you realize what made the game good, you know, 25 years ago, and then you, you know, just give it a shot, then it starts to become fun. You get, you, you adapt, you know? It's like, I'm going to talk more about this later, obviously. But I think, like, people that are frame, frame rate whores are not going to be able to play this game because they're just people that demand 60 frames a second. They won't be able to play Star Fox, but if you unless can, you uh, overclock it in a retroarch, then you could do it. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess you could do it then, but yeah, if if you're playing it on original hardware like I am, um, you're not gonna be able to do it. But if you can just just give it a chance, and I enjoyed the hell out of this game when I was a kid. I loved it. I think I was 13 when it came out, and I, I played this game so much, and I haven't played it since. It's one of those games I haven't picked up again in what 25 years. And I did, and it's like it all just came back. And some of it's nostalgia for sure, but I'm having fun, so what What does it matter? So anyway, um, yeah, Star Fox, having a lot of fun with that. Uh, surprisingly, I'm actually kind of surprised, and I'll end up making some, video, some videos out of it. So, all right, that's what I've been playing. So let's move on, shall we, to our first discussion topic, which is DLC, the dreaded DLC. Uh, the good, the bad... content. Yeah, the good, the bad, and, and the dishonest business strategies is what we're going to go on about here. So why don't you start us off, uh, Mark? Tell us what sure. you uh, think Think the about most... DLC. <laughs> I don't like it. Like, uh, <laughs> Old I could, man. I could come up with some uh, really articulate, schnazzy ways to say I don't like it, but it's just really grating on me these days. I think there was a time where DLC was a novel concept that players appreciate it it's like hey i remember the first time i ever heard of it was with splinter cell on the xbox so they made splinter cell and then i don't know 
however long after, they're like, hey, there's an extra level in Splinter Cell you can download. And it, at that time, you didn't pay to download it. You just downloaded it. So I was like, oh, cool. So I downloaded and played it. And that was my first experience with DLC. And it seemed like such a cool idea. It's like, hey, let's download more shit to the games that we've already played and beaten and play a little extra content. So, and then it kind of started... <laughs> I don't know how far you want me to talk about this, so do you guys want to say well, give something some, before I some, uh, Give some more specific examples of what irritates you. Like, Do you have any specific... Oh, okay. Uh, I know you could probably talk about what Street Fighter, uh, which Street Fighter was the one with all the problems that... Street Fighter Cross Tekken? DLC Maybe. on disc? Well, yeah, yeah, there, yeah there's DLC on disc. That that's I don't... Is that even something that happens that much anymore, or was no, that kind of... No, they uh, wised yeah. up. Yeah, but No, because people it, uh, mine, data mine every game now. So you put anything on that disc, they're gonna find it. Yeah, so. right. So they were trying. So developers are trying to hide um, DLC on the disc already yeah, there. So then they, you just pay to unlock it. Which yeah, that's yeah. that's shady, man. And then uh, Capcom came up with a whole you know story about, and a lot of people have come up with all kinds of different ways to kind of get around. Like, no, wait a minute. Like, if you think about it, it could have been you know, but. What actually bothers me the most about DLC isn't the typical, like, DLC on disc stuff or, um, like, even stuff that affects you when the game's out. I really It really annoys me because you can tell these days the standard has just lowered with what they will give you in a game. Like, Dead or Alive 6, for example, they're, like, chopping out all... You know you're, they're chopping out so much stuff that they would normally just give you. And I think it's just changed people's mentalities when they develop games because now it's not, now it's just kind of like give you the base experience and then you can just wait or pay for like the entire experience where before DLC was around, if they wanted you to play with all these costumes, they had to get it on the base game. There was no other way. So usually games, when you look back on them, just had more content in them and they weren't trying to milk these games and i feel like that's kind of what dlc's become and it's kind of become so accepted now we don't really think about it as much anymore well it's let me just play kind of like let me play devil's advocate for a second here um <laughs> go ahead look at it this way uh games really haven't changed in price much since the inception of gaming really since the 80s i mean you still played you still paid 50 bucks for nintendo games back in the day you paid i mean i think i paid 80 dollars for final fantasy 2 or 4 whatever back in like the early 90s you know and uh now i mean how much what do you think the development costs were on a final fantasy uh, a 16-bit final fantasy game it probably wasn't 100 million dollars you know so the prices the prices of games uh, development has gone skyrocketed into the hundreds of millions for some of these games and they're still selling them for the same price as they were 30 years ago so i mean that's just one argument that you could say they got to make more money somehow but at the same time obviously uh some companies are better than others about it you know there's companies like cd project red that i think go about it the right way and then there's companies like ea that are you know just scummy to the max and want to squeeze every single cent out of you you know yeah, and I think, I know what you're saying there, and I, you know, I I think people, most people are kind of idea, are fine with that kind of idea, and maybe I'm a little more unconventional than most people, but I actually don't like this whole model that we're going by now. I mean, whatever the cause is, I don't know, I still don't like it. Like, I don't like this model of, we make one game, we're going to sit on this game for like five years and just drip feed you DLC, 
and then five years later we make the sequel. I prefer the older style of we make the game, we put as much into it, we make it hot, you buy it, then we make the sequel. Like nowadays, you notice like the the amount of sequels or like installments of a series has really dropped off. It's like we make Grand Theft Auto Five. And you're gonna play Grand Theft Auto Five forever until we and we'll just drip feed you DLC forever. It's so I don't know I don't like that I because it gets stale to me it gets really stale. Yeah. And I it's funny the Neo there's a game coming out called Neo Two, and what it is is they made Neo they did make a DLC for it but I didn't buy it they made Neo it was a really good game and then two years later they make Neo Two. And it's funny, some of the reactions people are having, they're like, I don't get it. Why would they make another game that's like the other game, but a little better? Why don't they just make this DLC? It's like, what kind well, of game is Neo? It's like Dark Souls, kind of. It's okay. really similar okay. to Dark Souls. Okay. Yeah. Um, Soren, since you're the one who came up with this topic, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Where do you stand on this? So, yeah, I've got a, a few examples of how I feel about DLC. Because... Um, I do think there are different uh, ways to do it, and that's why, like, yeah, when I suggested this topic, I said, you know, the good, the bad, and the dishonest, um, because I, th I think you do get all three of those. So the examples that I've got for kind of a good way to do DLC, um, the first one is the new Super Smash Brothers. So Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Now, some people might argue that the pricing is still too much for, for what you're getting because um, it's, uh, I think it's like a $25 uh, season pass um, that gets you five fighter packs, so you get five new fighters for the game, and each of those fighters comes with a new stage and a load of new music and all of that and yeah, an argument could be made for the fact that like you know, that's somewhere between like, you know a half and a third of the cost of the actual full game for a handful, you know, a very small percentage of what would what, what that would equate to on the game itself. So I can kind of see it from that viewpoint, but where I think this is still a good uh, business strategy and a good way of doing DLC is that they knew they wanted to do this, but they hadn't started development on this until they'd finished the actual game. So you know, although they knew they wanted to do some DLC, um, but, you know, they, they weren't trying to kind of, like, they weren't kind of trying to pull the ball over our eyes or try and do, you know, any of this, like, the, the, the fighters are kind of, like, actually already made and they're on the disc anyway, or, you know, they weren't trying to do anything like that. So they knew they wanted to give people more content. And from what I gather, or what I would guess from uh, the kind of characters they've already announced, um, is it could even be that some of those, you know, some of those contracts and some of those deals, they're still working them out, you know, because they've got an idea of who they want to bring into this game. Um, and they might still be in negotiations with people for all we know. Um, but I think, I think they're a, a good example of like a way to do it right. Um, but the one that I think is probably a bit better is, uh, are you familiar with, I know actually, um, Zach, I know that me, you, and Justin have spoken about this before, um, but have you guys both heard of Binding of Isaac? Yep. I remember if you both played it, or I know, yeah, you, Mark, have you played Binding of Isaac? Yep. Yes, I have. Cool. So that 
I think is a really good example of how to do DLC properly, in that the game came out, it was out for absolutely ages before um, they even considered doing a DLC, and then they did a DLC pack, and it was a really reasonable price for an absolute shit ton of more content, like it practically doubled the game. Um, and they even did things like, I'm sure they offered me, like, because I've got it on Steam, and I'm sure there was, like, a loyalty discount. So, like, if you, you know, if you'd already had the game for so long or something like that, you've got a discount on the DLC, and they've just added loads of stuff. There's been, like, free updates as it's gone on as well, and just everything they add is, you know, the, the most they can add for a really good and reasonable price. You know who has the best, uh, I think, uh, DLC system of anyone? <laughs> Who's that? No Man's Sky, Hello Games. It's all free. I mean, yeah. That... <laughs> you can't beat that, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah that like, here's, here's the game. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's... Uh, that's... But then again, you could say that... They're making up for... Uh, they're making up a for... A bad watch. Yeah. A bad launch. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I, I, I don't want to run over Soren's topic too much, but... It's interesting he brought up DLC and fighting games because that is such a such a back and forth topic for me in my head because before because you know like the the de facto justification for DLC could be fighting games because before DLC came along Street Fighter Street Fighter Hyper Fighting Street Fighter 2 Turbo Edition Street Fighter Tur- mm-hmm. Turbo Max Ultra Edition like they cuz to upgrade anything they'd have to resell you the game so like Street Fighter 4 has like four or five different Dude, versions because they did I paid, that i paid eighty dollars for street fighter special champion edition on genesis i had street fighter 2 on super nintendo but i wanted right. the, the champion edition with the four extra characters so i paid 80 bucks for the jet you know for, you're right and that basically was dlc it's the same game just with some extra yeah. features you know and yeah and i think there was a better way of doing that like i think Sega and Namco did way better jobs about that, and Capcom was just milking it really hard. But it Always is an interesting have. topic because uh, with with fighting games now, how it is is so they even Smash Bros. I know people love Smash Bros, but they give you the base roster. Smash Bros is a lot more generous, which is nice. And then what they do is they kind of they drop in DLC characters to like keep people excited about the games. Like, oh, have you played Soul Calibur? two B's in it now, or have you played, you know, Tekken, Akuma's in it now, or whatever it is, and for fighting games, I kind of see why they do that, because fighting games are such a community-based gaming experience, where if you don't keep people excited, people leave, and then you have no one to play against, so for, yeah. for fighting games, I'm kind of like, I get it, I don't like it, because you buy Soul Calibur 6, and you can tell there are four characters they're trying to sell me that I know would be in the game normally, otherwise, like... Um, what was that character I've been playing? Ah, it's like Rose or something like that. Like, she's such a character that would be in the game normally, but they DLC'd her because they're like, hey. <laughs> gotta yeah. get you to buy something. Got, you gotta, we gotta give you something, so. I don't know That's if you guys remember, but, like, back in the early 90s, I think the early 90s, yeah, is in essence when DLC started, but on the PC, it was literal DLC in some cases. Like, the Wing Commander games... Uh, you could buy the speech pack that would make everybody talk. 
you could buy, uh, yeah, you know, um, mm-hmm. there were expanded missions, mission packs you could buy, you know, uh, even the Ultima games, which I talked about last episode, had expansion packs you could buy right. that would give you more game, you know. And, but guess what? That was EA even back then. EA's like, I, I really, I wonder who created. I, I want to say it's probably EA that created the whole concept of of expansion packs and DLC, but it's because it's been going might on. Might be, might be Blizzard too. I mean. We yeah. don't even think about them as DLC because they're so legendary. Like StarCraft Brood War is still one of my favorite games ever. But if you think about it, it's it is an expansion pack to StarCraft. Yeah, but even that was in the, the late nineties. Like uh, the Wing, first Wing Commander was like 1990, 1990 or ninety one. Wow! And you could buy I had no speech, idea. you could buy speech packs and, and expanded mission packs and things. At you know you go to the to the software etc. Electronics Boutique, and they had a they had the box sitting there next to the regular box. You know and yeah. I bought them, dude. I wanted to hear them talk. I wanted to hear my pilots talk, you know, so I bought the freaking speech pack for 20 bucks. You know, it's like <laughs> even back then, even 30 years ago, man, it's crazy. So, yeah, it's something that's actually been around a long time. But now with the advent of the Internet and uh, the fact you can download anything in, in seconds a lot of times, it's like they're just yeah. they, they can milk you. So they do, you know. It I looks feel like... like the first expansions were like tabletop games in the 70s, which honestly makes sense. Hmm. But they've been okay. doing it for PC games since floppy disks were the size of a napkin. Okay. Okay. See the like, yeah. the the um with the fighting games like I see I know I obviously I mentioned Smash Brothers as um a good example of DLC but I think that they do kind of tip into that region whereas like most nor like all of your other fighting games I think they're not necessarily good DLC strategies. Um, but they're not bad either. I mean, they're good for the sense of, like you said, they uh, kind of keep interest um, and mm-hmm. prolong interest in the game. But yeah, it's not kind of good or bad. It's kind of like it kind of averages out because it, right. like, it's like it keeps interest in the game. But like you said, you're looking at like four to six DLC characters that probably would have actually been in the original game if they weren't planning for DLC. Whereas Smash Brothers, I think, kind of tips up into that good section because they they really gave us everything they possibly could in the time they had for development and then the dlc although they knew they were going to do do dlc it's you know they hadn't planned it all so far in advance that they were like okay cool we'll we'll hold off on these characters because they'll be really good for dlc it's like Mm -hmm. they wanted to give us absolutely everything and then even now with the dlc they're trying to you know, uh, do contract negotiations to get some amazing characters that you just wouldn't expect to be in there. So it's like, <laughs> it's kind of, it's like not, a, it's like a good way to do a DLC because it's not a scummy way. They're not trying to like, you know, do anything that uh, that seems underhanded with it. Well, yeah. why, don't we, why don't we talk oh. about the worst examples of DLC now, since we've, it seems to cover some of the better ones. Why don't we... Talk about the worst offenders oh, so that you can many. think of. Let me let me start with one. Um, okay, and it's the most obvious, which is Battlefront Two. Oh uh, my god! From a couple from <laughs> what la- the, the end of last year or the end of the year before last or whatever. Um, I remember reading that um, in order to unlock all the additional content, it would take you forty five hundred hours of grinding in order to do it, or you could just buy everything. You know, not to mention the I loot have... boxes and you know the other craziness that was on, that was in there. I have hands-on experience with that because um, I usually don't buy EA games, but I had a soft spot for Battlefront on the Xbox. Like, me and my brother 
love that game. We played it so much. You know, the, the uh, I don't think EA made that one. I think that was the LucasArts, right? Yeah, it was oh, yeah, back then. Yeah, it wasn't. EA had nothing to do with it. Anyway, so I kind of gave in. I was like, okay, I know it's not like the real deal, but me and my brother want to play Battlefront together again and like play the co-op missions. Mm-mm. There are no co-op missions. There are. There's like nothing. There's like no content in the game. And then I was like, okay, I guess we'll have to play <laughs> multiplayer. And the multiplayer sucked because people are just buying all the guns, like buying pay to win. And so we played that for one weekend, and we really regretted buying it. We're this like, was the first, the first Battlefront, like yeah, the first, this is uh, the re- first uh, reboot. No, the first reboot. So the yeah. EA Battlefront. Okay. Yeah, and after that, I said I'm not buying another EA game. This is, I just got robbed because this is awful. Yeah. No, I t- yeah. Totally it, agree. It was I, I had the same, the exact same disappointment. Like, like you said, where you get it and you look at it and you're like, where are all the modes? Like, there's nothing. Yeah, where is everything? It's there's yeah, there's nothing. There's like a few challenge missions and then multiplayer. And that's- yeah, I th- I think the second game had a single player mode, right? But it was I think they said it maybe took five or six hours to finish, but at least there was a single player mode in the second yeah. game. But but the the shitstorm that happened uh, after the the whole loot box controversy and uh, mm. lawmakers got involved and what what a disaster, man! That was. To the point where EA had to roll it all back, you know, most of it. Um, yeah. And I think Disney got pissed off, and so now there's other... Isn't there other companies developing Star Wars games now, or is it still just EA? I think I EA know. still has it, but... Uh, yeah. That needs to go to somebody else, or at least to another company. My God, man, why are you going to let EA... Well, uh, um, I'm, sure, I'm sure somebody else was working on something else. I know EA are doing that one that's meant to be... Like, they're doing one that's meant to be a single-player game, and basically everyone's like... Yeah, we don't trust you, EA. You're definitely gonna put yeah. <laughs> like some bullshit. sort of bullshit in it. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's this just seems to have been like a few years of them going like, no, 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 guys, come on, trust us. Like, no, you've not earned that trust, EA. I'm afraid. Nope, but, not yeah. even close. I mean, look at the Sim. The Sims Four is another one where I think the Sims Four has like the most expansion packs of like any oh my game God. ever made. I have them all because <laughs> I. No, let me explain the story. It's a funny story. I have them all. I have there's every single the, one. Wait, the, the Sims Four. There's yeah. DLC for DLC. There's a there's like a a cat and dog expansion pack or something that goes with one of the expansion packs that was already released. So you can't play the dog and cat expansion pack unless you already own one of the other expansion packs. That's how crazy it <laughs> is. So let me tell you the story of how I have. I don't know about all the DLC, but I must have most of it. Uh, someone. Someone I know uh, in my family loved The Sims. Like, it was their favorite series. And so they did buy every single one. And one day they just had enough. And they're like, I hate, I'm done with this series. And they handed me them all. And it's like a stack of this many. I'm not kidding. It's bigger than the frame. It's so many discs. I was like, what am I going to do with these? And they're like, well, you collect games. Here you go. Take them. So, and I tried to resell them. I was like, no one wants these. These are like garbage. I could, I could throw them for frisbees for my dog i don't know what i'm I'm gonna do with them i'm sure the sims is fun i've never played any of them but i did have a roommate in college who was obsessed with the uh series i think it was the original sims way way back but yeah yeah dude like just milking it to the max another you know another one that i thought of and this is one i experienced myself and i didn't and i actually experienced this one in game didn't know it was coming but um if any of you played the original dragon age origins Mm, a little bit Okay, well, there's a there's a, a camp campfire 
uh, area, like your camp where you go. And there's this this guy showed up after a mission in the camp, and I'm like, oh, who are you? And I go up and talk to him, and guess what? He starts he starts talking to me about something, and then all of a sudden he's trying to sell me DLC for the game. Wow! <laughs> I was just like, are you kidding me? Just talk about immersion breaking, man. <laughs> it was that just suck. it was horrible, man. It was like you know I wasn't like super offended, but I just I started laughing. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This guy's trying this this NPC is trying to sell me DLC in the game. It's amazing. <laughs> Like, yeah, and look, yeah, back like, to oh, EA again. It's like, oh, I have this quest for this, like, ancient yeah. family sword that I need oh, to dude. go and find. And it'll only cost you, like, four ninety nine. Dude, that's exactly that's exactly what it was. He started talking about a quest. I'm like, oh, this sounds cool. And then he's like, oh, by the way, you, you know, you gotta pay for it. You know, this little thing pops up. And I'm it's like, like, you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> that's awful. I, did, I never did it. I'm like, fuck that. I don't need this. But um, wow. That's yeah. kind of like... It kind of reminds you of like when they go, you go in the grocery store and you need to get milk, and they like throw all the candy bars on the way to the milk, and they're like, "Come on, you want, you know, you want some candy." It's like, "Son of a bitch, I'm just trying to buy some milk." I think that's what a lot of these tactics are, where they get you in the door and they're like, "You're having fun," and then they're like, "Bam, DLC." What? Why not, dude? It's right here. Come on, come on, come on, DLC. Oh man. Okay. Well, I think we'll. Uh... On that note, I think we'll take a break, and uh, when we come back, we will do our second topic. We will be right back. second topic which is misunderstood retro games mm-hmm. so some people play new games some people play old games some people play both like i think most of us but there is certainly a large portion of gamers that only play the latest and greatest in games and i know quite a few people like this and you know mm-hmm. that's fine there's nothing wrong with that but it's when someone criticizes something old without ever really giving it a fair shake that i think things become a little bit you know unfair so many retro games get looked at in this light due to judgment uh, based on the era in which they were released um, rather than if they were actually a good game or not. So, you know, with that in mind, we'd like to talk about some of our, I guess, some of our personal picks and maybe the of misunderstood retro games and maybe the broader topic overall. So since Mark came up with this, uh, what did you call it? An esoteric topic? Esoteric. <laughs> yes. Once you guys we'll let hear you, about it, we'll let, though, you start us, we'll let you start like, us off. It's hard to think about but once you see it you know it it's kind of like oh i know what you're talking about because i feel like another version of this topic could be gaming hipsters and how annoying they are like people who (laughs) who think they know better than the rest of the gaming community because they're they're schnazzy and fresh and so they what they do is they go around and they pick games that are well regarded or people like and they kind of come up with really specific reasons why these games are actually bad that aren't really well justified so Here's a really common one that I see all the time, and it drives me absolutely crazy, is that, uh, so GoldenEye, people talk about GoldenEye, and they say, oh, it's a multiplayer, one of the first first-person shooters on the N64, it was influential, but when you go back, it's a piece of shit, because the, gra- the controls suck, and all this stuff, and they talk about these topics like they know exactly what they're talking about, but... With GoldenEye, uh, for instance, a lot of people complain about the controls and say, well, the controls are so whack because 
it's just one analog stick. And a lot of people don't realize that GoldenEye has like five different control schemes in there, including one where you can play with two controllers at once called Overkill, and you have two analog sticks. <laughs> I didn't realize so, that. <laughs> yeah, you want two analog sticks, you can actually do that. It's called Overkill. So hmm. they don't even know that. And then also, most people who speedrun GoldenEye don't play on the default control scheme, 1.1. They play on 1.2. Uh, I think it's called Solitaire. I can't remember. Solitaire or something like that. And what it, that does is instead of mapping that weird kind of strafing to the C buttons, but you're looking and moving with the analog stick, it makes it kind of like Doom, where you look all around with your analog stick, but then move with the C buttons. So like mouse and keyboard. So if you play solitaire, the controls are actually completely fine. You just need to go to the options menu and switch it over. But people will write all these long reviews about that game and how it's so dated and so unplayable these days because the controls when they don't even explore the control options so that's kind of an example of what i'm talking about okay that yeah so so they're they're speaking uh without uh much knowledge of what they're speaking mm -hmm. about which exactly is a lot of things and, in life these days it seems like you know and but i feel like they they feel a little more comfortable because it's an older game and it's like easy to dismiss it's, it's really easy with older games to dismiss how actually in-depth a lot of the design work was for these games. It, they make it seem like just a bunch of monkeys hit a keyboard and out came Goldeneye 007. <laughs> it's like, no. They thought about the control scheme when they're making the game. They, ha they thought about how to make it work. So, and it's, it's also worth noting that, like, uh, so I, I think when I played that, because I played the hell out of that game, and when I played it, I probably just played it on that normal, you know, 1.1 control scheme. But like with anything like that, once you get more and more used to it, it doesn't become an issue. It's only because people are going back, like now, when, you know, we've had so many years of controlling first-person shooters with dual analog sticks. Call of Duty controls, basically. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You, if you go back to that, of course it's going to feel, like, completely alien to you. But I guarantee you, if you went back and played Goldeneye on its standard control scheme, and you just played only that for like a month, by the end of that month, you'll be controlling it absolutely fine and having a, an absolute blast with it. Like it's, yeah, it's, if someone puts you on a desert island and that yeah. was the only game you had, you'd probably have fun with it, even if you know yeah, you were sure. adverse well, to it at first. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm talking about. Like there are games where it's hard to get around that the controls are actually bad. But Goldeneye is not one of those games. But you're mm. they're just throwing that on it because it's an old game and they don't they're not used to the control scheme. Yeah. But you can get hella precise in that game once you know how to play it. So So that's one example of like, like a misunderstood game from the past where now it's become like a part of the culture or whatever, like gamer culture of Goldeneye Double Seven, bad controls. We'll just say that. Even if we don't know what we're talking about, we'll just say that when we're talking about the game or doing a review or doing a retrospective. So there's an example of what I have in mind. I have a few more, but... <laughs> Meanwhile, wanna... Derek has a video of uh, a... Is it a Doom mod? Yeah, Doom 2 mod. GoldenEye Doom, Doom 2 mod. <laughs> I could not click on it. <laughs> I'm watching. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, do another one, Mark, while you're, while you're going. Give us another okay. example. Okay. So it ties into a game you mentioned earlier, which is Star Fox. So one that mm -hmm. 
really drives me crazy is Star Fox 64. I knew you were going to do this one. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get you. <laughs> no. no, Star Fox 64. I love Star Fox 64. It's one of my favorite games. And one thing, and as a shmup player too, shmup people are a little sensitive about this anyway, you'll hear reviews of Star Fox 64. It's a good game, but you can beat it in 30 minutes. You know, it's like, it's only a 30 minute game. You know, looking back on it, it hasn't aged well because it's only a 30 minute game or whatever. It's like, homie, you don't beat Star Fox in 30 minutes, okay? You get to Venom on the default settings in 30 minutes, but like people don't understand that there's a lot more to that game than surviving a stage and beating Andross and then the game's over. There's the meddling system and the expert system, which most people don't even talk about. And I feel like the game was designed to encourage you to meddle the stages. And so just flying through them and surviving isn't, in my opinion, isn't beating the game. It's just get, getting through the first part of it. Yeah. Is uh, is Star Fox one of the games that got you in the shmups in the first place? Star Fox 64? Mm-hmm. Probably. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I used to go to the arcade, play Raiden 2, and then go home and play Star Fox 64. <laughs> it's okay. like... It's funny yeah. because that's the same with the original. Well, I played Shmups before the original Star Fox, but the original Star Fox was one of the what I would consider one of my uh, the most influential uh, Shmups, if you want to call it that, uh, of my childhood. You know, but obviously I played games like Life Force and yeah. and uh, games that were earlier than that. But um, yeah, so that, that that's pretty interesting. What what about you, Soren? What do you what do you think? So um, I I think I misunderstood the uh, point of the topic <laughs> but <laughs> um <laughs> no i so i think i've got something that kind of fits um well, i've got a couple of things so the first is so i kind of <laughs> i thought of it more in terms of um not quite what you've just described there but a, a game that is kind of misunderstood in that it's very niche and has a very, very specific fan base, and I think it deserves to be bigger than that. I think it deserves to be more well-known and more played than it is. Um, and the, specifically, the game is uh, Fire Pro Wrestling World on Steam, and I think it's on PS4 as well. But it, generally, the whole Fire Pro series. Um, if you've not heard of them, they're basically kind of... I haven't. <laughs> I like. They're, okay. they're 2D... They're, they're hard to, hard to describe. They're wrestling games, aren't they? They're, they're like uh, customized rest, wrestling games. Yeah, I mean, they're predominantly wrestling, but you can do cage fighting in them and things like that. And they're kind of... I mean, they're 2D, so they look... Like, even the most recent one, which came out, like, last year or something, it looks like it could have been on the SNES, you know, or, or, or that oh, yeah, you're right. technology. Like, it looks very... It's got a very specific art style um but i think that's what puts some people off because if if you get into it and if you actually start kind of digging you know deeper into the the mechanics and that it is so deep and there's so much to it and because they let the users basically create kind of anything they want on there you you can have i mean if you're a wrestling fan you can basically you know name a wrestler and somebody will have made them for that game just go and download them. Um, but they also do, you know, because they do the MMA stuff on there, you've got all the MMA fighters, you've got... I mean, it can get ridiculous. Like, I've seen uh, people hold massive battle royals that are all, like, 80s cartoon characters. 
um, and things like that. Like people just make anything and everything for this game. Um, but it's it's just incredibly deep. Like you know, you you not like just to just look at some footage of it. You would think like you know, oh okay, there's a punch button and there's a kick button and then there's a grab button and you know, and that's it. It goes way deeper than that. Like there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of moves and different ways that you can punch and kick and uh, yeah, like it's it. But worth but due to the way it's due to the way it's presented, you're saying that it's misunderstood by most people. I could see where you're. I could see where you're going with that. Yeah, because I, I I'm it's... looking at the footage now, and yeah, it, it definitely looks like a. Yeah, maybe a 16 or 32-bit era game, yeah. you know. And uh, but yeah, I see what you're saying. It makes it makes a lot of sense. And the the fan base for it is really, you know, I mean, the communities around it are really good, and there are some hella dedicated people for that series. But yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of more kind of uh, I don't know what the word would be like. I want to say general, but you you kind of. Yeah, you're people who aren't like super super into it. Um, your general wrestling fans or fighting game fans or people like that, they've probably taken a look at it and gone, "Oh, okay, yeah, whatever," and just moved on. And I think that's definitely down to the the art style. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, the game, I'll go ahead and talk about the one that uh, the game that I'm going to talk about, which this is a game that I, I've defended. Probably since it came out, honestly, thirty about thirty years, almost thirty years ago, twenty nine, twenty eight years ago. Um, wow! And I'll uh, I'll I'll do what Justin always does, and I'll build up to it, you know, and then <laughs> and then drop drop it on you, you know. So okay, <laughs> so Should this we guess game, what it is. <laughs> you'll never be able to guess what it is because it's a really uh, really niche, strange game uh, that was released on uh, it was on it was on the, the SNES. But it was also on um, the Amiga. I think it was originally on the Amiga. It was on I, th- I want to say the Atari ST and, and and DOS and a couple other uh, PCs at the time. It was ac- it, I didn't know it at the time, but it was the first RPG that I ever played. Um, I didn't realize it at the time because I looked at it and thought, "What the hell is this? What am I doing? What what do I do with this this strange world? The strange world that I'm in, you know?" And uh, uh, the <laughs> Basically, um, I had the Super Nintendo version, and my uncle got me a Super Nintendo in Christmas of 1991, which was, I think, not long after it came out, in the U.S. anyway. And he got me Super Mario World, and he got me this. And I think it's because they were only two games on the shelf, other than, I think, maybe Gradius 3 and maybe a few others. There weren't that many launch games, were there? Maybe three or four. And so, you know, he got this game for me, and... After I played Super Mario World all day, I popped this in and I was like, okay. But the game is Draken. Now, if any any, any of you heard of Draken? Yeah. Mm. The name I know Derek has. Hmm. I was already yeah. looking okay. it up. Yeah, well, Derek knows because he's. I've written about this game and I've talked about it for years and, and I love it. But um, yeah, basically, it's a pretty uh, hardcore RPG. Um, but it's really... it. It's the type of game where nowadays someone looks at it and they're like because it, it's got a it's got a 3d environment you know and and uh, there's some some janky polygons in there and and it's like a mix of polygons and sprites i guess kind of a uh, kind of mix the two together um but it's really hard to find your way around uh there's nothing really that points you in any direction of where you're supposed to go it's a big open world and 
uh, it doesn't hold your hand in any way, shape, or form. And I think most people, and I've seen videos of people making fun of this game, you know, uh, Let's Plays, and they'll put this game on. They're like, what the hell is this? This is so stupid, you know? And it's like, the funny thing was, I kind of thought the same thing when I picked it up originally, because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But a year later, uh, I had the game for a year, right? And then the, the following Christmas, I think my brother put the game in. And like, I'm going to try this game again. And he figured it out. He started figuring it out. And so then I figured it out. And then we loved it and we played it, just, you know, played it and beat it. I think we both beat the game, you know, which was kind of remarkable for 90, I think it was 1992 at the time. I had no hint guides or nothing, but we just played it so much that we figured out how to do it. But it's a pretty in-depth RPG. The story's a little, uh, a little, I don't know, underwhelming, I guess you could say, but it's really fun to explore. Uh, You got, you got four, you know, four, four characters in your party, um, you can go down into uh, dungeons and uh, castles, and I really enjoyed some of the castles uh, you could go down into. You could kind of go into the depths of these creepy castles. The game is super atmospheric, and you'll be walking around. It, it turns night, and it's got a day-night cycle, which is pretty cool. It'll turn night, and then all of a sudden the stars, the constellations of the stars will turn into whatever constellation it is. The monster will come down and attack you, you know, just kind of cool stuff like that. Um I can already see what's probably coming up on this video, but you can, there's these graves, grave sites around. And if you bump into the grave site, this evil demonic dog just pops up out of nowhere. Uh, he avoided it, but, and just with lasers shooting out of its eyes, you know, and, and blasts you. But, um, I love the game. Uh, it probably doesn't hold up well by today's standards, but I did play through it. I think it was last year I played through it. I actually, I wrote a, uh, an article for the Super the Super Nintendo the SNES Omnibus by Brett Weiss. He's a, a, an author that does uh, you know video game books, and he's got this book's on Amazon, I think now, and probably some other places. But I'm I guess I'm published in his book. I wrote a thing on on Draken because he asked me. He's like, hey, what's a Super Nintendo game you enjoy? You know, that's kind of unusual. And I'm like, oh, I got just the game. You know, no one else is going to write about this game. <laughs> so. So that's kind of cool, but yeah, uh, it's definitely misunderstood uh, for sure, man. Simply because it's it just drops you in the world, and you don't know what the hell to do, you know. And games nowadays would never do mm-hmm. that, you know. There's always a tutorial. Uh, God, even uh, even Cuphead has a tutorial, you know, where even I think there be before the shmup levels, it tells you all the buttons, you know, what to do and everything. So yeah, most most people are very against that style of game design now, like the figure yeah. it out yourself stuff, mm-hmm. like yeah. That is very unkosher right now. Yeah, it is. Well, except for Breath of the Wild. I think Breath of the Wild is the only example I can think of lately that really doesn't hold your hand much. I mean, you get slight little hints here and there. And in Draken, you get hints, too, if you can find the place where you get the hints. But, yeah, Breath of the Wild. But Breath of the Wild is so brilliantly designed that we talked about this before. Anywhere you go, you're going to find something, you know. And mm-hmm. Draken was a little more sparse than that. But if you looked hard enough, you would find find things you know but what were you going to say Soren? um i was just going to say that yeah kind of like looking at the footage as well and, and what you were saying about it um i can't remember if we mentioned this on the last um episode of the podcast but how you know sometimes you go back and look at these older games and you're seeing mechanics and things where you're like like it's difficult to comprehend that they had that on a game of that generation so, you know, right. the fact that this was like a SNES era game and it was It was a launch, a launch game on the on the Super Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. And it's a yeah. massive open world RPG yeah. of a la Skyrim and things like that. It's- yeah, it basically yeah. is it is that type of game. And um 
the 3D, the, the whole 3D pseudo 3D environment they created was really it was impressive for the time. Mm. The music is also really good. I remember, and I've I'm gonna sound like a broken record because I've told this story before, not on the podcast, but my mom, who never even gave a second glance to a video game before. She heard the music in this game, and she's like, that sounds like real music, you know? And I'm like, ah, really? <laughs> you notice my video game I'm playing, you know? So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's definitely my misunderstood game is Draken, and uh, it's, I have a lot of nostalgia for it, obviously. I enjoy it. I still enjoy it, you know? It's not a game that I bounced off of when I tried it uh, recently, but I think games like this particularly benefit from modern times because... You can just pull up a walkthrough, and if you get stuck, you can figure out what to do, you know? And you don't have to run around for hours and hours and hours trying to, uh, you know, figure out where to go or what to do, you know? See, it's like something else that's kind of odd. and I, I kind of wanted to look at this from the other angle as well, which is um, when, you know, when I was thinking of kind of misunderstanding retro games, I kind of not only wanted to look at it from... The viewpoint of well, here's a game that I do understand, and I think the majority of people misunderstand. I also wanted to look at stuff that I looked at and didn't, you know, and I was kind of like, oh, that doesn't look that great or doesn't seem that good, and then <laughs> I was kind of changed on it. And oh yeah, it's for me, it's um, Atari games, just kind of in general. But mm-hmm. um, what kind of got me onto it was um, there's a YouTube creator. Uh, called Metal Jesus, who does a channel called Metal Jesus Rocks, and he is a big fan of Atari, and one of his favourite games is a game called Hero on the Atari 2600, and so I was watching some of his videos, and I saw him talk about this game, and I thought, okay, that looks kind of cool, I'll give it a go, and up until that point, my impression of Atari, you know, whenever I'd seen either video footage or, or screenshots, I was always like, yeah, that looks really basic, and like, okay, I can appreciate it was really good for the time, but I'm not going to go back and play that stuff. And then seeing him kind of talk so enthusiastically about this game, I thought, I'll go and give it a try, and it, like, <laughs> it absolutely blew my mind. <laughs> like, it, like, because it's, a, a, it's not a difficult game, and it's not, like, massively technical, but actually kind of going and playing it, it put me in the mind frame of somebody who would have played that when it first came out and how groundbreaking that kind of, you know, having that technology at home on your your little Atari console, like how mind-blowing that would have been. And it kind of, it made me appreciate a lot of the Atari library, like from that. Yeah, that's, uh, I'm extremely guilty of, of uh, kind of throwing Atari games under the bus. And, uh, the early, you know, the first gen 3D games, you know, the 30, the 32 bit era, mm-hmm. which is ironic because I'm playing Star Fox right now, which wasn't that generation, but it might as well, might as well have been because yeah. it was a polygonal right. 3D janky sort of game. So, yeah, man, you're absolutely right. Um, and I got a lot of bias uh, because, you know, the 2600 was my first console I ever owned, um, but I was so young, I was probably four or five, six years old, that I don't have super fond memories of playing it you know it it wasn't until i got the nes that um those i really got into gaming you know but i do wonder if if i go back to uh some of those atari like maybe a game like pitfall which i think was a bit more advanced i think that's probably one of the most advanced games on 2600 um if i tried something like that if that wouldn't uh you know break my bias you know i did 
I did play through Adventure um, maybe about five years ago because uh, a friend of mine at a website I was writing for was writing about it and uh, I, I was helping him with it. So I, I played through Adventure, which I basically, I, I it was fine, I guess, but um, I did use a walkthrough to help help me get through it, you know, because otherwise I'd just be bumping into walls the whole time. Yeah. But um, yeah, that, you're right, though, man, there's... You're right, though. I, I I should try and check myself uh, when it comes to that sort of thing, and not be so harsh on the uh, you know the first basically the first gen of video games because there are games that are fun. I think I mentioned Pac-Man before. Pac-Man is still a great, yeah. uh, fun arcade game. Um, uh, what's the other one I'm trying to think of? Joust. Uh, I think Joust is one of my favorite games of all time, honestly. And I played the NES version as the one I have, but it's in essence the same as the arcade and and a lot of the other. Uh, earlier ones so that's another example was there was joust on the 2600 i don't remember if it was or not uh, I think, it probably yeah, was i think it is on there it i think is. everything i think everything was on 2600 <laughs> at I one mean, point or another man like on on one of the other podcasts i know justin mentioned about um this kind of uh this like retro modern arcade um company that is is starting to open places in england um where they kind of like bringing back a lot of the old arcade games and trying to get that feel of an old arcade. And oh yeah, we have those. Yeah, like yeah, I think they probably started over in America, but I um went to one of those and honestly, like if if you go and check out the, I think it's like the one of the original cab uh, cabinets for Asteroids, but it's like Asteroids Deluxe or something like that. But literally, all this cabinet is is it's displaying um, asteroids, but, like, projecting it onto the back of, like, this, you know, just window, essentially, just a bit of glass. And it's entirely monochrome, so it's just, you know, your little white yeah. and, you know, white asteroids and white bullets. But behind this piece of glass, they've created, like, a 3D diorama-type thing with, like, hand-painted art. So that's all in kind of, like, nice hand-painted, like, colourful art. And then you have this really vibrant, you know, like ship and asteroids kind of on top of it, creating like a 3D effect. And it is absolutely stunning. <laughs> like, like I think even if you went and looked up footage of it, it it's not going to do it justice to like if you went and saw that in person. But if you get a chance to see that or see some good footage of that game in action, like go and watch that and then tell me that you need, you know, a million pixels and 4k resolution and you know for something to look good because it's absolutely not true i love how we uh we started this off talking about how modern gamers are misunderstanding old games but then we brought it back to ourselves and our own biases about you know <laughs> about uh the same topic really except... i actually have seen what uh, soren's talking about they have a cabinet like that where i go to it it is surprising like you say even even playing them on the Atari and stuff doesn't quite do it the same justice as the mm -hmm. cabinets because, like he said, the cover the colors of those lines are extremely clean and extremely yeah. vibrant, yeah. and it's like whoa! Like you don't see that even on modern TVs and stuff. It it almost is like when you go to a planetarium and they mm -hmm. do like the lasers and stuff. It yeah. looks more something like that. Like it's yeah. very, it's like it looks more like a light show than a, yeah. a game. I have seen those before, and that's it is really neat. It's very very cool. Derek's got a video going, but yeah, it's that's actually I have seen those before. It's like it's the, almost like. Sorry, go on. 
So the, have you seen the Vectrex? That, uh, have you heard of that? I was about to mention yeah. that. It's uh, the yeah. only vector-based video game console ever released, and that's what the Asteroid yeah. system was, was that vector graphics. But, man, I just Okay, love so it was like that. Yeah, because I yeah, played the Vectrex. graphics are really cool. I played the Vectrex. Remember, Derek, we were at MoGameCon last year, I think? Yeah, because you wouldn't let me steal it. Yeah. <laughs> we, were at Mo, we were at MoGameCon last year, and they had all they had a plethora of old consoles, all setups you could play. And the Vectrex was one of them. And I, I think I got it on video of me playing it, and it looked a lot like that that thing that uh, what Soren was talking about and what Derek was, was just showing there, where it's very... I think I played Star Trek, the game, and it's like a shooter. You know, it's basically... Uh, like a pseudo 3D kind of shooter, and and mm-hmm. with all uh, those vector style graphics with the really bright bright lines and and colors, very cool, man. Yeah, it's. Uh... I think one of the um, one of the original Star Wars games uses it as well because there's a you yep. know that Star Wars cabinet game where you you're holding yep. the Tie Fighter controls and you're basically just doing the trench run on the Death Star, where you've got to, like go through the trench and kind of dodge all the bullets mm-hmm. and shoot down the exhaust pipe. It's that, but it must be using that same thing because it's incredibly vibrant and like crisp and just stunning in real life. It is. It's a vector game. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So they, one. yeah, they've they were really messing around with 3D games uh, back in the early 80s, man. And all, yeah, look at that. That's freaking cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's trippy. <laughs> <laughs> right, that looks yeah, so for, good. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I mean, you know, uh, apologies, the... apologies to all the people listening to. Yeah, who can't? Yeah, they're <laughs> yeah. listening. But it's basically it. It looks kind of like Star Fox, uh, except it's in the cockpit and it's and just a bunch of bright, colorful wireframe uh, 3D. That's what you're looking at. Um, yeah. Very cool. It looks like uh, Tron. I, I've... Yeah, it looks kind of like Tron actually, and yeah, I guess yeah, I guess that whole the whole 3D thing started in the early 80s. Honestly, maybe even earlier than that. For all, I'm not an expert, but. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, I think uh, I think that's a good place to end it. Um, thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. And uh, on behalf of Soren Day, Mark uh, MSX, uh, the guy who we don't know his last name, we will find and our <laughs> and our producer Derek Moore. I'm Zach Smith. We'll see you next time. Later. Later. Later, guys.